Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam from the Back Patio Network, and as always, I am joined by... Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. And we are bringing you another awesome episode where we are covering two episodes of My Hero Academia Season 5. It is episodes 93 and 94, or Seasons 5, Episode 5, and Episode 6. Uh, this is pretty much picking right up where we left off last week uh, with... Aizawa and, and students kind of going over the fight uh, between Class 1A and Class 1B and what they could have improved on or done differently. Yep, and this also covers uh, chapters 198 through 201 of the manga if you're reading along or if you're reading ahead and just want to go back and breeze back over these four chapters. Uh, and Adam, before we jump into the anime itself, I realized far too late, um, uh, by this point over a month late, that you and I have passed... Uh, another significant milestone in uh, in the life and times of the Almighty Podcast. We have? Which one is that? We have. So we're recording episode 77, which, you know, numbers are arbitrary, but calendar dates are slightly less so. Our first episode of the Almighty Podcast went live on March 30th of 2019. So we've, oh, we've wow. been at it for over two years. Dude, that's really cool. Yep. And we just let it slip on by. I didn't even but realize it. To be fair... We did release an episode on March 30th of this year. Look we just didn't hype it up as the two-year anniversary of the Almighty Podcast, but we inadvertently did do something kind of neat and different with it. Do you remember what that episode was? Was that where we uh, did the, uh, like, Mystery the th- uh, 3000, or Mystery Theater 3000 episode? Yep, that Gosh, was the MHA 3K. MHA 3K. 74. <laughs> I like that. Went live. Exactly to the date, two years after the very first episode of the Almighty Podcast. Holy live. cow. How crazy is that? Didn't even know it. Me neither. Until I was, I just got curious and looked it up myself and I was like, hot dang, we're gonna, we don't pay attention to this stuff at all. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. It's, it's weird having done so many podcasts at this point, I guess I'm fixated on like the number of episodes. So when I think 76, I think, you know, three fourths of a hundred almost, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, yep. So we, we passed our two year anniversary. I didn't get you anything, but you didn't get me anything. So we'll just call it even. That sounds good to me. I like it. I'll send you some stickers. I'll send you another AMP sticker. How's that sound? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just telling him off air that the one on the back of my car is uh, starting to fade. I needed a new one. I need, I might need a new shirt. You guys still selling shirts? Yeah. Yeah. We still have shirts up and stuff. You get a, get an AMP shirt. It's all on the website, backpationetwork.com. Yeah, I may need to. I may need to get a new one. Mine's getting a little, a little raggedy. I wear it quite frequently, and this might be, you know, as as we're as we're in the the uh, patting ourselves on the back and hyping ourselves up mode. Uh, don't forget, guys, as you're listening, if you want to give us a follow on Twitter or join us in the Discord or leave us an iTunes review, all of those things are pretty nice things. Yeah, we absolutely love it, and it definitely helps get the show out. I mean, I've definitely seen our numbers rising over the last couple of weeks and months, and I see it in the Discord. We got a lot of awesome folks in there hanging out and talking. We even got a couple of new folks watching the show that we're already part of the discord so i can't wait for ness to see this uh, i'm glad that more folks are, are tuning in yeah i got i got ness hooked by very poorly in my opinion but uh expertly in his uh comparing Yu-Gi-Oh to to my hero academia and saying well my hero academia it is Yu-Gi-Oh, only the creatures are people with with special powers and it would be like if exodia uh, gave all of his powers to whatever the weakest creature in Yu-Gi-Oh is. And somehow that made sense to him. That was the fullest extent of all of my Yu-Gi-Oh knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it to excellent use because now Ness is, uh, I think he's somewhere in season four in like two short weeks of time and has consumed probably a, a hefty portion of 
the AMP as well. And it's really fun to see him kind of discovering things and other people in the Discord, not just Adam and I, kind of talking with him about where he's at and picking his brain about what's coming up. It's just cool to see those conversations break out. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, man, let's go ahead and jump right into 93 and just talk about what's going on. Uh, right after Class 1A fought off Class 1B in round one, uh, Class 1A is clearly the winner here, but they did have some shortcomings, and they're kind of going over that with themselves, and Kirishima's talking about how like he was pretty much useless once he was taken out of combat because he can't do anything else. Like Combat's his shtick, so if he's not fighting stuff, he's not really helping at this point. And, you know, Koda's interesting because... He makes mention that he really needs to have better communication with animals and, and he needs to be able to tell them pretty much exactly what he wants instead of just kind of like vague terminology, I guess, which I hadn't considered that he is hasn't already mastered that. I kind of assumed he did. Um, and Sue is also recognizing that the whole team was pretty much all over the place from the get go. Uh, and Shinzo just realizes he wasn't prepared at all. He thought he had practiced enough with his, uh, his like scarf rope stuff. Uh, but turns out he was not ready for combat. Yeah. I liked too, that, um, before Aizawa kind of interjects his own opinions over class one, A's performance, um, individually, in fact, as he teach, he, he has a teachable moment with, uh, each of the four participants in this first bout, Aoyama kind of in the background says that the two who did the work studies, which would be Sue and Kirishima, uh, that they had the two, they had the most serious reactions. They were the most uh, evaluative and even critical of themselves. And, mm-hmm. and that made a lot of sense. I like that there was that differentiation between them and Shinso, who has zero experience, um, and Koda, who I, I guess maybe we didn't see his stuff. Like, did he not take an internship? Maybe I don't. Rem- he wasn't in the remedial course, was he? I don't know. I don't, I, and I don't right. think that he didn't take an internship, but I don't think he did a work study. Okay. I think that's the biggest difference. I think almost all of the kids did an internship, but I don't think all of the kids had a work study like Deku and Sue. Um, and the funny thing here, too, is like Kaminari is just immediately like, well, I did great. This yeah. was awesome. <laughs> He's- He's breaking his arm, patting himself on the back, yeah. but he gets humbled pretty pretty severely by Aizawa, who kind of works his way down the line. He says, Kirishima, you need to set up an opponent for a one-on-one fight. That's your thing. And he's like, Koda, you're right. You need to increase the accuracy of your control over animals. You don't need to be a frontline fighter. And at one point during that bout um, with 1B, he was. He was very much in the front. Uh, he looks at Kaminari and he says, are you unable to use your true strength until your teammates get beaten? Yeah, um, I which love I his, thought was His comment there is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was very sharp criticism. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's but pretty it was true. Accurate looking back over it, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we've seen several times Kaminari not be effective until it's like basically the team's in dire straits. So if he could be as effective as he is at the end of a fight, at the beginning, they probably wouldn't get in such bad situations. He talks to Sue and he says, "You need to learn how to think more, how to cover for a mistake than you do about the mistakes themselves," uh, because she was kind of dwelling on what it is that they did wrong um and she needed to be a little bit quicker with her reaction times and he tells shinso the obvious man you're new it took me six years he says to to master those binding cloths you can't just expect to walk out on this field and be an expert at it day one yeah that would be pretty unreal expectations and shinso is actually showing a bit of like I'm going to say adeptness, I guess, at, at trying to overcome his inexperience because he's sitting there fumbling with the uh, the cloth, like trying to reenact what was happening, you know, trying to go over, like, okay, like how could I have done this differently and, and been ahead of the game? So it's kind of neat to see him like already thinking through things, like almost like Deku would sit there and take notes. Midnight 
gushes about that and says that his freshness is so great and she's all fawning all over him and and others as the rest of this episode goes on but we we cut over to vlad who's talking with uh, class 1b and he's obviously upset um pretty mad and he says you guys already know why you lost you tried to use shishida and also shiazaki as this focal point but you can't have both of them do that um so if you guys had figured out one strategy a single plan and worked together on it then you guys probably would have won yeah, and I think he has a. He also mentions something about how Shiozaki isn't good at like deceiving people. It's like one of her yeah. flaws. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, this is that. That was Monoma. So Monoma comes over and he's kind of critiquing Class B, his classmates as well. And he says that bit about Shiozaki. And it's really funny because uh, Shishida turns to Shiozaki and he's just like he's apologizing. He's like, you know, I'm I'm sorry. I shouldn't have treated you that way or whatever. And she just says, burned by the flames of hell. And I was like, <laughs> in my notes, I just had, or, or I forgive you would work. Yeah. Like <laughs> she's taking, I feel like that's seriously. a more appropriate response. Right. Just a little bit. Yeah. And, but Monoma is all excited uh, to get to work with Shinso. Now that he's seen him in action, he runs over and is breaking his back laughing and having this one-sided conversation with him uh, to start planning for how they're going to perform uh, in what is going to be the fifth fight uh and that kind of inspires the rest of all the people that are going to be in the second through fifth fights to kind of break out into little small group circles and hash out uh any kind of plans that they can concoct in the short time that they have between now and whatever it is that their fights might roll around i was actually really surprised that the teachers let this happen because it seems like for this to have been a true exercise they wouldn't have want them planning anything at all like you need to get in there and start the plan the moment the timer starts you know what i mean it's not in a real life situation you wouldn't have this 15 minute in between fights where you're going to get to kind of plan out like okay here's what we're good at here's what we're not good at it just seemed i don't know it seemed kind of weird that they would have even allowed that see i think that it should be it would be fine so long as they grade on a curve basically where it's just like hey you know what you guys that went in that first round you had to think very quickly you had almost no time to process strategies so you guys get a little bit more grace as far as like what your plans are or were and how effective they were or were not but you folks in that fifth round you had a lot of time and so we can be much more harshly critical of any plans that you guys came up with because not only did you get to see your your opposing team's components, like who makes up that team, but you had a significant amount of time uh, to to come up with counter strategies. That's a really good point. And, and so I think that if they if they did it that way, that would be more fair, at least where, you know, the folks in the first fight get a little bit of grace. People in the fifth fight are running out of excuses. Yeah, no, I think it, it would surprise me, I guess, if they don't do it that way. I hadn't considered that because at the end of 94, we know who wins, but we don't have a follow up yet. I'm, I'm guessing they'll probably do that in 95, just like they did at the beginning of 93. That um, could be. But it's really funny because we kind of get a quick glimpse of like each team and what their quick, you know, thoughts on uh, as far as a strategy. And when we get to Bakugo, his teammates are like, all right, what are we going to do? And Bakugo is like, just leave it to me. Like, you guys just heck off. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, don't get in my way. It's mine, by me, and for me. Yeah. That's <laughs> what he says. Everybody else is, like, trying to figure out who's going to be their focal point. They picked up on that, like, key word from, uh, from Vlad King. And so they're like, ooh, maybe we should have a focal point, too. It's almost like people in the business world turn to, ooh, synergy. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, I was going to say, it sounds like a manager <laughs> team meeting, like, <laughs> buzzwords. Yeah. 
I liked too. There was this throwaway line by the robot, and it's uh, some robot on the scene. It's slightly different in the manga than it is in the anime. In the anime, this this little robot's running around, and he says, "Injured humans should go to the nurse. Humans are inferior beings whose parts cannot be replaced." Uh, <laughs> and I loved the way that that was phrased. In the manga, he says, "Injured inferior beings lacking replaceable parts, please proceed to the nurse's office." That's Either funny. way. It was great. Yeah, that's funny. I, I really like that little touch because that robot did come out of nowhere. I feel like that robot has to be like, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, this th- that guy has to pol- probably follow around class 1B for some reason. Because <laughs> just because we've never seen him. Is yeah, that the- like we've never yeah. seen him before. So he, he must be there because all of class 1A is probably super familiar with uh, Nurse Nanny. Or whatever her name is, Granny Nurse. You never get her name Dude, right. I know. It's Recovery Girl. Recovery Girl. I don't know why I can't get her name right, but yeah, Recovery Girl. They they're all so familiar with her. Like they frequented her office for the first semester, pretty much. That's true. There there's a funny scene too here where this is getting midnight all worked up, and she's just like, "Ooh, to be in the springtime of life." And All Might just does this line behind her in the background where he's like, "But it's winter." Yeah. <laughs> he also like takes a moment to reflect on Midoriya's experience and Class One A's experience in general and just talk about how far they've come and Aizawa interrupts him and is like hey uh, so this is pretty much Shinzo's test into the hero course like you know but what do you think and so it seems like they're they are really trying to figure out if he's going to be able to fit into this course so I get the feeling he may be a mainstay after all this I hope so I would be surprised if he weren't um maybe not immediately I mean there's the chance that they're just like ah he still needs more work especially because especially if we're going to throw him into class 1a who has had literally the worst of luck in times. Do you think he um, would go into 1A? I just, for some reason, I assumed he'd be in 1B. I don't know. That. I mean, they both have 20 seats and they're all full. So, I, I mean, I think he could just as easily slot into one uh, as into the other. It would make sense to go into 1A, I guess, because Aizawa has been working with him. So it would only make sense for him to continue working with Aizawa. Although that's only the homeroom class. So, yeah, well, I mean, there's that, but there's also... I think Shinso is a crowd favorite, like a manga slash anime viewer gotcha. favorite. And so you place him in 1A, he gets more of that screen um, time, more of that screen time. It would be kind of frustrating from the from the front, though, that if Shinso comes in and takes up, you know, takes one of these spotlight positions in, in the class, then there are all these other people that we want to see more of in class 1A that then get even further pushed down the line, which would be kind of frustrating. But maybe they'll kill off Mineta and make a bunch of people happy and just replace him with Shinzo. Ness would stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> that man has fallen in love with with Mineta. Uh, but All Might actually comments that uh, he th- he's really digging Shinso. He really likes, in fact, that Shinso uh, Shinso's reaction to um, the the end of that first fight was just frustration that he didn't perform at the level that he believes he should have or needs to um so he's he's really taking it very seriously uh he, he's not approaching this with nonchalance um he appears to have a lack of care um you know because he's stoic uh, but with the way that he applies himself it's that is betrayed um his stoicism is betrayed by his passion behind behind that mask and behind his eyes even um how seriously he's taking all of this and they they decide that they're going to go ahead and start pushing forward with this second match and th- this this had this started me wondering man where's where's present mike where's your boy why isn't he doing all this oh, instead you got question. vlad king like doing this massive big boy inhale and screaming at people where's present mike i thought that scene was so funny too cuz I, I mean we know that it has nothing to do with his quirk he just was just bellowing as loudly as he could uh and i, I had the same thought i was like man present mike's going to get replaced man uh i mean i hope not he listen 
Vlad King is not getting good scores from the people in class 1A at minimum. Uh, <laughs> no, no, They keep he is not. literally picketing um, most of the times that he's uh, making these announcements. But uh, the second match from class 1A, you have Tokoyami, Hagakure, Momo, and Aoyama. Uh, and they are put up against Shihai Kuroiro and Itsuka Kendo, uh, Kinoko Kimori. Uh, and then the last member of that team is Manga Fukudashi. Which it's a really cool team, uh, and th- their quirks are all really unique. It seems like, uh, but the they kind of like enter the battlefield together. It seems like they're walking side by side, and we get an interesting interaction between Kendo and Momo, where Kendo basically says like, "Hey, look, we've been grouped together. I don't know if you know this or not, but from the time we did that commercial, people put us kind of in the same category, and I don't like that. Like, your quirks better than mine, your grades are better than mine, but I need to prove that I'm better than you. I don't want to be associated with you in that way. So, I'm looking forward to this fight. Like, I can't wait to fight you one on one. And I think Momo's kind of taken aback by this, but." Before I get too far, I guess she also mentioned something about the beauty pageant and why Momo wasn't there. And Momo was like, well, I'm busy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was really funny. She kind of shut her down like, well, I got better shit to do. (laughs) I mean, she she did. She was involved with the band and she also, you know, said, listen, Aizawa just didn't tell me about it, which says way more about Aizawa than it does about Momo. I mean, Aizawa's sure. just like, beauty pageants are rational is basically what <laughs> what it came <laughs> down to, um, which I really liked. I, I had some interesting thoughts with the way that Kendo talks to Momo uh, about some of this stuff. Um, the first thing, and this is strange. Uh, so Kendo says they keep putting us, they, them, or the, the, the nebulous they uh, keep lumping us in together. And she says that they keep putting us in the same box. And then Momo has this like thought bubble where she is imagining herself squeezing into a small box. And I'm like, uh, what are you Drax the destroyer all of a sudden? And like, <laughs> yeah, nothing will go over my head. I'm too fast. I'll catch it. You know, um, why do, when, when has she ever been that literal or, or dull? Uh, never. She, I thought that was a weird <laughs> moment too. Yeah. Um, and then I also, you know, like you pointed out, Kendo's like, listen, your grades and in, in your quirk are better than mine. So I didn't like getting lumped in with you. And I wanted to be like, why not? That seems kind of awesome for you to be, yeah. you know, associated with somebody who you see as excelling at a higher performing at a higher level than you. Why wouldn't you want to be associated with that? Uh, but I think you're right where she's just wanting to distinguish herself. She doesn't want to be that girl with Momo. Um, no, she wants, no, to, she be wants to be Kendo. Yeah, definitely. And so she's like, hey, let's let's throw down. And so, you know. I mean, if as if you couldn't tell going into this fight, um, that Kendo and Momo were going to end up 1v1 at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can tell right off the bat that's what Momo wants. Or not Momo, but Kendo. Kendo says she wants to fight her, and Momo accepts. I mean, she's like, yeah, okay, I get that. Like, I didn't realize that was the case, but let's do it. Like, she seems kind of excited about it. Um, and it's funny because the same time, there's this weird moment between Kuroiro and Tokoyami where, like, Kuro Hiro's like, oh, we're the same and we share a destiny. And Tokoyami's like, yes, we are both supporters of the deep, yeah. which I couldn't find anything on because I was thinking like, okay, maybe this has come up before. And so I kind of did some quick Google searching and it doesn't really seem like much more has come of this uh, from what I can tell. So I tried to keep spoiler free, but it doesn't seem like there's much spoilers. I don't know. It's I'm. It makes me wonder if like 
they're part of some you know religious sect or like a cult <laughs> or something and they're like fighting to see who ultimately gets dark shadow i don't know it's weird i think there's something more going on there that we just don't know about it's really funny too because their parting words to one another is uh live in eternal darkness which is like this weird dark version of live long and prosper and i just have right. in my notes yeah. up under this weird exchange i was just like is this what emo love letters look like like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like like two goth kids passing notes in class and they're just yeah. like uh, we live in eternal darkness and all this stuff. I was like, dang, maybe this Kuro is really Iro, hot to them. I don't know. Kuro Iro's also got this weird thing where like, I don't know, when Tokoyomi talks or says something that gets him a little bit, he like shivers and you can see it go through his like whole body. Yeah. I don't know. It's just strange. I, their interaction is going to be interesting, uh, but it's neat because Kuro Iro does set up this idea. He's talking out loud that like he's going to go after Tokoyami. He he is going to get him like they are going to become this big, you know, rival uh, and or they, they are going to be rivals with each other. And so it's just kind of neat that he's he's setting this up and telling him like, all right, hey, I'm coming after you. Uh, and it gets pretty deep, too. Yeah. You know, I just I just realized that um, class one A's team for this particular fight has not one, but two students who did not have to test into UA. Um, yeah. Because you have Tokoyami and Momo. I, that n- didn't register uh, until I was sitting here thinking about just the caliber of uh, of character and quirk and uh, ability that are represented just by those two. Um, how intimidating that must have been to the Class 1B students on the, on the opposite side of this battlefield. Uh, and yet they still are towing that line. Both of those two 1B kids are like, let's do this toe to toe. You know, I'm coming for you. And they're calling their shots and they're doing so uh, boldly. And I, I, that's super impressive. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they're, they're kind of fighting giants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then so, we, we kind of flash away to uh, Saro, who's trying to figure out what role Kendo plays in class B and Tetsu, 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 Tetsu is just goes off on this massive tirade. And he's just like, Hey, she gets the job done because she's the class rep. She's smart and makes decisions quickly and calmly, and she's brave and risks herself on the front line. And and of course, it's I think it's really appropriate that he's her cheerleader uh, because of the what went down during the uh, the raid on the summer camp. You know, those two against Mustard, and he got to see Kendo in in real action firsthand. Yeah, uh, and so I really like that he is his. Uh, her Kendo's big cheerleader, and he, and he plays that role throughout both of these episodes. Yeah, he calls her uh, Class One B's big sister, which is kind of almost similar to Ida, kind of being like Class One A's dad, you know. Uh, and it's funny too because he mentions like if she hadn't stood up and and be, like taken over that role, then everyone probably would have just fallen into Manoma's lap. And in the background, he's like, you hear Manoma go like, oh, "Why you got to say it like that?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Manoma's just got a very big and manipulative, oppressive kind of personality. And yeah. so without Kendo and Awase, I think Awase plays that role too and kind of keeping him in check. Um, but Kendo definitely runs point on on keeping Monoma in check. And so, you know, Tetsu Tetsu calls it like it is. Uh, and For sure. so th- then we get into kind of this match and some really interesting things happen. The first thing is that Tokiyami sends Dark Shadow ahead to scout. And my first thing in my notes was how far can he go? Um, but th- there's lip service paid to apparently through uh, training with his quirk that he can now send Dark Shadow. They don't put a number on it, which is probably for the best. Um, that he just explains that, yeah, he can go really far out. Um, but the longer or the further out he goes, the the less time he lasts. And have yeah, we ever so... seen... Dark Shadow just 
shut down for a reason that doesn't have to do with light because that was kind of something that they might have been implying here. Like I he don't has think a, so. He has a stamina I was bar. Wondering, I was wondering the same thing. Like they make it sound like there's a time limit on how long he can be out. Maybe, maybe he absorbs sun or something, and after a certain period of absorption, he dissipates or something. I don't know, but not that I'm aware of. I don't think that they've mentioned anything, and it kind of makes me wonder. He must have improved this ability a lot because I think that if he hadn't, we would have seen him use this ability early on when they were doing the test with the throwing the baseball. He would have just had Dark Shadow go out a thousand meters and then throw it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they they also he asks Dark Shadow to report back to him, which made it sound like um, initially to me that they didn't have a shared memory or a way of communicating um, so far as the two heads were so far away. But um, he does since that dark shadow finds the enemy later on without dark shadow having vocalized it. Uh, and then there's some communication between the two of them when dark shadow is on his way back. And then there was this other question that I had where does dark shadow have to actually rewind back to Tokyo on the same path that he took away from him. And if that's true, which I think that it is, why does he go out of his way to make it the most circuitous in and out and around pipes (laughs) path as possible? If it's about distance, man, you got to take the straight line path. You don't need to be zigzagging and swirling around stuff in order to to do do your job. Just go. Um, yeah. So anyway. is controlling Dark Shadow like playing a game of Snake? Yeah, could be. Well, I mean, Dark Shadow has sentience enough where he's he he's kind of uh, uh, autonomous. You know. Yeah, but he doesn't um, detach. Like, right. At right. All, right. Yeah. So. I think. I think. Um, uh, Kuro Iro t- t- uh, talks about it almost as if they're attached by some sort of umbilical cord. Yeah, but um, so I gotta say, Kuro Iro is a little strange because in, in the moment when you're you're talking about Dark Shadow coming back, we know that Kuro Iro basically takes over Dark Shadow, which is really cool and kind of alludes to my team up of, from last mm-hmm. week. So I was yeah, I was happy to right. see that. Yeah, I was happy to see that. Uh, but he doesn't exactly do what I said because he takes control of Dark Shadow and then immediately attacks Class One A, which is totally smart. But there's a weird scene, and it may happen a little bit later, but I want to bring it up now. Kendo is talking about how Kuro Iro has, has practiced his quirk and has been training hard enough that he can now take over Dark Shadow. How does he know that? Like, were they just like, well, we hope you can do it now? Or was it like, did he sneak into the dorms and he's been taking over Dark Shadow in the middle <laughs> of the night? Like, how did he practice enough to figure out that he could do that? Or are there multiple Dark Shadows? It just seemed weird that they went into it so matter-of-factly, we know he can do this now. But we know he couldn't do this two months ago. So, like, where was that standard set? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the way that they thought about this, um, and, and you and I kind of talked around this idea before we started recording, I think they they extrapolated a little bit from what they knew Kuro Iro could do, which was he could merge with the darkness, and then he was able to move darkness when it was possible. And so they said, well, Dark Shadow, he's got dark in the name. He like, is so, dark, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they were like, it seems reasonable that he should be able to do this. Um, but even if he couldn't, I still think that plan A would have, the, the fail condition for plan A would still be in place. So it was worth them being able to risk this, this opportunity or this shot with Kuro, uh, Kuro Iro becoming one with Dark Shadow. Because worst case scenario, Kuro Iro can still jump into any one of the billions of shadows cast by all these pipes. And then they would it's still true. get that light show that would tell them where so-and-so was. Uh, so I think that maybe it was a calculated kind of risk. 
where it was, I think Akendo at one point said, of course, they're going to send Dark Shadow ahead because it's a um, it's a low risk, um, you know, high, high opportunity move or something like that. Um, and so maybe they had kind of come up with their own version of that. Like, hey, you know what? We'll, we'll give this a shot because you can get away easily enough. And if they do the thing where they try to, you know, get you isolated through light, then it'll still be the same response from us as if you had taken over Dark Shadow and, you know, things would have gone reasonably better than we anticipated. So I don't know. That was yeah, the way no, that I kind of worked my way around that anyway. That's a good point. And, and I mean, to basically flesh it all out, once Dark Shadow returns, he's being controlled by Kuro Hiro, and he is kicking Class 1A's butt. Like, I mean, Dark Shadow was not something to mess around with. I mean, poor Aoyama is standing there, like, shaking in his boots the moment he realizes he's up against uh, Dark Shadow, which is ironic, considering he is one of the you know, four people in this team that could take down Dark Shadow with his belly button. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. But Momo's quick thinking is able to get uh, Hagakuri up to speed and she is able to bounce back off all this light and basically force Kuro Iro out of Dark Shadow. It's pretty cool. And and as he's getting forced out, Tokoyami calls Dark Shadow back in and Kuro Iro books it and Momo sends like a net gun after him. I mean, she shoots a net, it looks like, after him and captures him but then he just goes right into the darkness of this pipe it's pretty freaking cool so he's like pinging all around them and it doesn't seem like they're able to really keep up at all so it gets pretty hey like crazy pretty quickly uh and then he picks up aoyama and takes off we kind of get this weird quick scene where he tells tokoyami that he's gonna vanquish him and that they share the same destiny which furthers my thought that maybe they're i don't know in some sort of like group together and their ultimate goal is to have dark shadow i don't know i think it's just a a a rivalry based on similarities just uh i i saw their interaction the same way that i see um kirishima and tetsu tetsu where it's just like our quirks are really close together you know there there are some strong similarities between the two of us so we're i'm gonna work my hardest to make sure or to try to set mine as the superior between you and i I think it's the like agreed upon terminology they're both using without talking about it beforehand that makes me think that they're like in yeah. a church together it's, or it's something. It's cool too you know? <laughs> because um, you know he Tokoyami says, "Well, okay, fine, I accept your challenge. Uh, if you're going to come and vanquish me, uh, then I'll I'll uh, take you on with this move that I invented while I was with Hawks." And he calls it Dark Fallen Angel. And Kuro Hiro's like Dark Fallen Angel. And I just have in my notes, did Tokoyami stutter? <laughs> It's like, no, he didn't, fool. And then we get this cool yeah. flashback where it was a couple months ago um, in Kyushu when he was working alongside Hawks, one of the two times, and we get some of that uh, filled in during this flashback where uh, a diamond thief is thwarted by Hawks' feathers, and as he's uh, as he's kind of handling business there, three of his interns come running up, one of which is Tokuyami. Um, there's two more. One kind of looks like a combination of Baron Zemo and Twice kind of smashed together, uh, and then a monk with mm-hmm. a weird mask. And I figured... Maybe that there was this bird theme happening there, like the the Zemo looking purple guy might have been like a raven of some kind. The other dude's face mask definitely came out to a point like a beak. Huh. Um, yeah, I think they even yeah, had sure names, but maybe not. Um, but anyway, Hawks, as soon as the sidekicks get there, he's like, All right, I'm going to let you guys handle the paperwork here and I'm off. I'm going to go over to this other place and, and uh, take care of some more business. Tokiyami's just shown up on the scene. He's out of breath. He's still running uh, as Hawk takes off again. And Tokiyami's explaining... Hawks has never offered an internship. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm chasing after him. All I'm doing is clean up work. Uh, so I started to question things. Um, but as he's 
kind of confronting Hawks with the way that he's being treated as a sidekick. Hawks is like, listen, I can't hang around and let things get worse while I'm waiting on you guys. And Tokiyami's like, well, then why did you, why did you ask for me? Like, if this is all I'm going to do in, uh, for you or be alongside of you, why, why me? Why not just anybody else? And, uh, Hawks says, well, we're birds of a feather. And Tokiyami's like, is that a joke? And, Huck starts throwing out these numbers, and I'm really glad that he circled back around and finished this 100% out because he says, I'm 20% serious, but then 50% or the other half, or half the reason was because I just wanted to talk to someone from 1A about the thugs who attacked you at the USJ. Um, referring specifically at that point, at least to the Nomu, which we know that Hawks is very um, involved in. He's very closely related to all of that. And he just says, so I just towed the bird like one because I thought that'd be good. Yeah, and poor, poor Tokoyami is like, kind of frustrated i mean he starts telling him everything about the usj attack but he he is very upset whenever he goes back to class and people are talking about what they learned at their internships he's pretty much like i didn't learn anything like i didn't do anything like this guy just used me to get information so whenever he goes back for the work study he kind of doesn't want the same relationship and there's a moment where he does a really really good job there's a they're out doing work and the two sidekicks that you mentioned aren't able to keep up at all with uh, Hawks, but Tokoyami has this new move and he's like kind of able to keep up. I mean, he's, he's lagging behind, but he's flying in the air and everyone's really, really uh, taken aback by this. They think it's really awesome. Like he's progressed. And so as they're heading out for the day, Hawks is like, Hey, you got a second to talk. And Tokoyami's like, not for you. I don't, I mean, he, he kind of like, for for a guy that's there to kind of help him move along, I felt like Tokoyami was well, just he's like, frustrated. No, he had I'm said earlier that he doesn't want to be a messenger bird, and he's assuming that Hawks just wants to mine right. him for more information on the all of the many things that happened to 1A between the USJ and then this second opportunity to work with Hawks. So I totally get his frustration. No, it, it does make sense, but I'm just surprised that like if he was that frustrated, I'm surprised he went back. Other than, I guess, to prove to himself that he could he- keep up with Hawks, really. Uh, but Hawks explains like, no, that's, it's not it this time. Like I actually want to show you something. And so Hawks pulls like an Aladdin yeah. and he <laughs> takes him on a wonderful carpet ride through the city, basically like flies him around and then tells him, you know, if you can fly, you should fly. And I expected him to drop him like halfway through just to see if he would fly, you know, like, all right, if it's a make it or break it kind of moment, pal. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. I did halfway expect that too, I, but I was I was kind of frustrated with the fact that Hawks kept reinforcing again. He keeps on saying we're birds of a feather. And I just have in my notes, I was like, we get it. You've said it three times. Move along. Find some other reason to be (laughs) emotionally attached to this other bird man. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, you guys can fly. Yeah. yeah. That's really the only similarity there. And even then, like at this point in time, Tokoyami can barely fly. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's floating. He's, he's doing something that is greater than Buzz Lightyear, but less than Hawks himself is, is where I would classify, um, Tokoyami's dark fallen angel. And, um, but he's, he's, he is way more mobile than he was before. Right. Um, cause they explain that dark shadow floats, he's always floating. And so he just kind of scoops up Tokoyami in his arms. Tokoyami has his hands free and, and is still able to participate uh, in what, you know, he's, he still has his hands free so that he can utilize them instead of being uh, handicapped uh, in that particular way. And so they, they get kind of get back into this particular battle and uh, Kuro Iro is, is really reveling in the fact that they still think that he's after Tokoyami. Uh, and he has suckered him into believing this, even with that conversation that we talked about, the little emo love letter exchange before the match, that they have psychologically primed 
Class 1A's team to think Tokoyami is the target, which is reasonable because, again, he's one of these guys that didn't have to test in to, to UA. Um, that he's, he's routinely been spoken of as having possibly the strongest quirk, you know, in, in all of UA at, the, uh, at this particular time, or at least all in uh, one, one A, uh, maybe not the whole school because you got the big three and whatnot. But, um, but that's not the plan at all. Kuroiro instead uh, whips away from him and grabs Aoyama and just starts hauling butt through these pipes. And Aoyama is screaming and his scream is funny every time that he does it in these two episodes. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. just this, this like high pitch, very effeminate, girly uh, scream. And it made me laugh every time, even though he was in uh, dire straits. It was great. Yeah, it, 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 made, it made me laugh, too. It was kind of funny. Uh, it, it's great because, like, Kuroiro is pretty much thinks he's getting away with it. He's like, nobody can keep up with me. There's no way. Like, they just don't have the speed. And so he's zooming off, and then out of nowhere, Tokiyami's like, ah, oh, is that what you think? And he's flying right behind him. And he is, uh, <laughs> he's able to grab Aoyama, which is pretty awesome. And then Momo is like, hey, use your light beams. And so the, uh, Aoyama uses the naval buffet, is what he calls it, and he just starts shooting everywhere. And so the shadows are changing position pretty much constantly, and is keeping Kuroiro from being able to actually use his quirk. So they're able to pin him down, uh, but he's able to get away from for the most part. And as he starts to run off, mushrooms just start spout like sprouting all over them, like all over Momo, all over Hagakure. It's it's pretty crazy. There's some great comedic timing in the end of this episode too because Momo is staring down Kuroiro who's there by himself now and he's partially surrounded as surrounded as he can be with this particular group of students anyway and and she's like even the unexpected are within expectations for me. And then there's this little pop and a little mushroom sprouts on the end of her yeah. nose. And she's just like, what the hell? Um, it's, it's done really well in the manga too. Just the timing of it is pretty funny. Uh, did you, there, there was a scene I kind of talked my way through it a little bit where Deku is explaining how it is that it makes all of the sense that dark shadow um, is capable of flight. Um, he was the one that was pointing out that he's already floating, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he says it's it's as simple as Columbus's egg. Have you ever heard of that phrase? Yes. I had never heard of that before, so I actually took the time to look up what an egg of Columbus was. Yeah, me was. too. Do you have it pulled up now? So it's really interesting. I do, yeah. So it's actually a mechanical puzzle. Um, I'm looking at a Wikipedia article here, and basically it's like a puzzle that... Allow, like depending on how it's built, there are a whole bunch of different ways to build them. Apparently, there are mechanisms inside of an egg, and it will allow that egg to stand up on one side for a certain period of time. And the interesting thing is, is like I don't really know why it's called the Columbus egg because, from what I could tell, it was first described in a book in like 1893. Um, but it didn't seem like it had anything to do with Columbus himself. So the, I am also on Wikipedia, but apparently we are on different pages because uh the one that's the one i'm looking at says that this was uh, an expression that refers to an apocryphal story so not canonical necessarily dating back to the 16th century in which christopher columbus having been told that finding a new trade route uh was an uh inevitable and no great accomplishment challenges his critics to make an egg stand on its tip uh and after hmm. uh, challengers give up columbus does it himself by tapping the egg on the table to flatten its tip and then it manages to stand and it's a colloquial uh, kind of story uh, that is about creativity. And so that's what Deku was saying. It's just like, uh, he just got creative with the thing that all of us had knew that he had full access to. Um, so it's just a cool, creative application of a quirk that they were all familiar with, but never saw this particular application uh, for it, which is neat. 
That is neat. Yeah. Yeah. I think you must be right because the Wikipedia page I'm looking at is specifically for Egg of Columbus mechanical puzzle. Yeah. So getting back to uh, the very end of this episode, there, Kuro Iro is saying nasty things to Momo. Basically, it's expected. Kendo is better than you. Um, it's just as Kendo expected. If there's light, then plan A failed. And we start plan B, which is apparently to just cover everything uh, in mushrooms uh, using, uh, using what's her name's quirk, uh, Kanoko, Kanoko Kamori. Kamori. Yeah. It's pretty crazy too. Cause like, I mean, within less than 30 seconds, the whole battlefield is covered in mushrooms and she's like running around, uh, saying the scientific names for all these mushrooms. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's kind of neat, but it's also, I struggled with her quirk and its application until the literally the very last thing. Be- yeah, that was pretty, pretty it just, up until she did the thing at the end, which we're going to talk about at the end of uh, episode, uh, our coverage of episode 94, which is called foresight. I was just like, what, what, what even is this? It's just annoying or it's, it's just a minor know, obstacle. It seems to hang them up pretty bad. Huh? I mean, I said, it, it seems to hang them up pretty bad. Like it shuts down Hagakure. Well, yeah, much. it, it, uh, I will give you that much. It neutralizes Hagakure because it makes her visible, but that is not applicable to anybody else. I think it just, I think it was well, like very psychological. Like I would freak out too, if mushrooms were sprouting all over my body, like it's a very messes with your brain kind of thing. It's psychological, but I think there's a lot of physical aspects that you may not be thinking about. Like, I mean, that's rough terrain pretty much immediately. Momo and Hagakura, I mean, stepping all over those wet, hum- like humidified mushrooms, it's going to be hard to move around. So they've got them pinned pretty much. But on top of that, like if there were any allergies involved, <laughs> imagine all the spores in the air and stuff like it would be hard to breathe. I would think just in general because of how thick and gross that environment now has become. But none of that was shown. You know what I mean? Not really, but I think that they're um, difficult terrain is that that one is compelling that I hadn't thought about, but none of that is depicted. It just shows them going ew gross and just knocking them off, but just growing right back. Yeah, it would be. I don't know. I mean, imagine if it started growing over your eyes and stuff like you couldn't see like there's all kinds of stuff that like could happen with this that I think they didn't do a very good job of showcasing in my opinion. Well, and the other thing that I was kind of annoyed about this episode is we have to wait four minutes and 15 seconds to see the first new cell of animation in episode 94 four minutes 15 seconds in is when we see the first thing that we hadn't seen at the end of last episode that's frustrating as hell and also later on in this episode they just replay a scene entirely that has been done already in this episode i was like what are we doing that's you know, I was, <laughs> that's like some shapoon yes. level uh reusability like, there <laughs> what are, why are we watching this twice it's so frustrating um so i mean seriously four four plus minutes out of an episode that's 22 minutes long that's in that's insane yeah, and it was all stuff from the last yeah. episode it, yeah that was frustrating i wanted I, I definitely felt like i was gypped a little bit on this yeah. episode it felt over really quickly I that, uh so getting back to uh kanoko kamori's quirk she's running around with these little humidifier guns which seems mm-hmm. super dumb. Like they need to be way bigger because those little spritzes of they humidity do, yeah. make no sense in an open air environment. Um, but they, they, yeah, no, they I get around to it with uh, manga. And we'll talk about that in a second. Cause I had to do some, at first I thought I had a really big issue with uh, the way that they depicted manga Fukudashi's quirk. Um, but I'll talk about how they, uh, how Japanese gets around it, uh, gets around my problem. So that was pretty cool. A bit of research. 
I did like the fact that they kind of cut over to someone from class 1B. I don't remember who it is, but he's explaining to, I believe it was Deku, that uh, the mushrooms dissipate after like an hour or two. That so was... that's why Kuro, or not Kuro, Iro, but uh, um, Kamori. Yeah, uh, Kanoko Kamori. That was Awase yeah. explaining it to Mineta because Mineta was freaking out. He was like, oh my God, we're like living in a, a, a horror movie. <laughs> a horror movie. Yeah, that's what he says. But I mean, the, the fact that, that they explain that saying like, that's why she's letting all loose. Like she doesn't care because they're going to go away in a few hours anyway. Yeah. The other thing that they explain about her, like at the end of this episode, when she pulls this move against Tokoyami is that she is one crazy lady and she yeah. gave me some serious Toga vibes at the very end of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty strange. So let's talk about Fukudashi because he's pretty cool. Uh, they show him like they zoom into this kind of area is it looked like it was just basically full of piping and everything and he's completely hidden and he is just saying onomatopoeia words from like old comic books like bam wham uh, ah like just crazy stuff and then <laughs> it seems like they form into these giant walls and they're the uh like text form of the onomatopoeia so it's separating out all of the individual people from class 1a momo has been separated from agakure it's nuts. These things are coming out of nowhere, and they're huge. Like, I don't know. I didn't expect his quirk to work that way. Yeah, uh, they, they explain how his works, that he can make the sound effects and automatopoeia in comics materialize, and he can also add various effects um, to them. And I thought that this made... I mean, I understood what they were doing in the manga or in the anime, but in the anime, the, the automatopoeia that manifests itself on the battlefield is also kanji which mm -hmm. some of that was lost because in the subtitles, oftentimes if, if kanji becomes important to, uh, you know, English viewers like myself and yourself, they'll often have like little asterisks and say, this is what this is, you know? Um, and in the manga, right. they do that. They show the uh, kanji on the middle of the battlefield and there's a little asterisk underneath the panel that says Japanese effects, bam, kaslam, and whamabam, which are the words that autumn, uh, that uh, manga Fukudashi uttered in order to manifest these things. Uh, which is pretty neat, like that they, um, I think visually the way that they kind of show it is he speaks them into their own comic thought bubble looking thing. And then he, it's almost like they exit that thought bubble and become tangible and real, um, which I, I really like the way that that was depicted uh, in the anime. For sure. Now, are you under the impression that he can control the size of like the words that he creates? Because it seems like sometimes they're huge and then other times he says them and they're like itty bitty. Perhaps it has to do with the volume that he speaks them. Um, yeah, that makes sense. He does sense. seem to be yelling these and then later on um, he whispers the ones for damp and whoosh, I think, uh, to, to make the humidifier mm -hmm. effect. And uh, uh, there's one bouncy for, one. Yeah, later bounce too. and zoom. Uh, and he, uh, I don't remember some of the other ones, but maybe, maybe that's how it works. It's, um, controlled by, by volume as a possibility. Man, what a unique quirk. Can you imagine like being like eight years old and you're out on the playground with all your buddies and you're just reading a comic and you're like, wham. And then all of a sudden this massive text just slams all your friends and kills them. And you're just left there like, oh, wow. I remember the first time I saw him in the anime and I think you had missed him. It was during the sports festival. Yeah. And I was like is there a dude running around with just a thought bubble for a head? <laughs> um, and we had no idea what his quirk was until pretty recently. And I, I, I do really like it. I did take issue with the humidif the way that he went about humidifying um, the arena in the anime, but only in the anime, because when I read it in the manga, 100% cleared up after I did a little bit of digging. So in the anime, he says, 
he speaks the words damp and whoosh in order to create humidity. And I was like, what the hell? Damp is not an automatopoeia. It is not and never has been an automatopoeia. (laughs) Uh, Whoosh, I get. And so I was like, what? Like how? What? I was very confused about how his quirk work. So I went to the manga. uh, And in the manga, what he whispers instead of damp is he, uh, and this is again with an asterisk, those things are helpful. You should read those things. Uh, and it says Japanese effects, Jimmy, uh, J-I-M-E, J-I-M-E, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Himmy, Himmy, I don't know. Uh, I don't speak the language, but that gave me something to Google. And I found this page that says this, Japanese automatopoeia are more accurately idiophones since they include oh. actual sound representations, barking equals wan wan, um, as well as sound symbolic words for things that don't make sounds. And this is the example that this website gives. For example, damp equals Jimmy Jimmy, or lazing around is Goro Goro. Um, so it's a it's a, like a colloquial, it's like a weird quirk, um, for lack of a better word, to the Japanese uh, means of onomatopoeia. And that cleared up the humidifier problem that I had, because I was like, damn, it's not an onomatopoeia, quit cheating. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. We do get a side, too, where I think it's uh, Sugar Rush is like, wonder how his quirk works overseas. Yeah. That seems like... Which, I, was that breaking the fourth wall? I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't think so, but it seemed like a really asinine question. Uh, I don't think that the people would, around him change, have right? to hear it or have to understand what they mean in order for those words to manifest like they do. I do wonder if he said them in English, if it would be the English automatopoeia. You know what I mean? Like if he said uh, drip, 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 if it would be the word spelled out, D-R-I-P. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of it being in kanji. I think that they would still be effective regardless. I don't think that they're localized. And that that was kind of what I thought uh, Sato was asking. And I thought that that was kind of a dumb question. <laughs> well. Because that would be yeah. really, that would be, that would be silly if his quirk was like, well, it, it only works in Japan. Um, that would be a real bummer. <laughs> that would be, he, he couldn't be the international hero. Sorry, right, right. you're limited. <laughs> but he does manage to separate Momo, which sets Momo up uh, to battle Kendo, who's been waiting in the shadows for just this moment. Um, she looks up and Kendo is, has enlarged her hand. And it is quickly descending upon her position to just smack the hell out of her, presumably. Uh, but Momo manifests some shields or she creates some shields. And she specifically says that they're tungsten. Um, which gives a little bit of um, uh, clarification to the damage dealt to the shield. So tungsten is one of the strongest tensile strengths metal metals in the world, but it does not have a tremendous amount of impact strength. So yeah, like it would get beat up pretty easily by Kendo's hand, presumably um, if she had made yeah, I mean, They look pretty right. Yeah. But like if, if Kendo tried to pull uh, the, the tungsten shield apart, good luck probably. Um, or right. if Momo had uh, manifested some other kind of metal, some alloy, um, then it probably would have stood up to Kendo's attacks. But maybe she's just super familiar with tungsten. Maybe I should have looked this up. Maybe tungsten's chemical formula is just really simple because we do know that she has to know all of that stuff. And so that maybe it's a reflexive. This is an easy one. It's hard enough. Uh, and I can just whip these out in a, in a, in a moment's thought. Uh, so maybe that's why that is. That would make sense. Kendo's biggest hope here is that she's just going to be able to overwhelm Momo, like what happened during the uh, the big festival, and basically just not give her a moment to think. Like if she just keeps slamming her fists into her, even if she's blocking them, she's eventually going to wear out. She's going to get through these this armor, and she's going to take out Momo. Uh, but Momo's better than that, and and we get a, a side glance here from Todoroki's point of view, where he kind of is reflecting on the time that Momo took charge and led him to success when they fought Aizawa. 
And, you know, he's like, look, if if they wanted to take down Momo, they should have all have gone after her. The fact that they singled her out was was really silly. Like, that's not the way they're going to beat her. She's going to be able to get past this. And so we we switch back over to Kendo, who appears to just be absolutely wrecking Momo. But Momo throws those plates up into the air and a cannon springs out of her chest. And Kendo looks really shocked. So does everybody else, because they everybody's initial reaction is. She's about to blow Kendo's freaking head off because that's yeah, like <laughs> she's gonna kill her. Yeah, it was it was the perfect reaction because that is exactly what it looks like Momo's about to do, and everybody was just like, she wouldn't do it, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying know. that yeah. she would, but I'm saying that she could if she really wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no joke. Uh, we we kind of cut over here and we we run back into uh, Kuro Iro and Tokoyami. But before we do, I want to go ahead and say that she does end up shooting this cannon off, and it's it's great. I want to go ahead and just bridge the gap instead of bouncing back sure, and sure. forth. She so she shoots off this cannon, and as like Kendo just takes a step back and is like, "Surely you're not going to shoot me." Like even she's like, "You won't do it," and and then realizes that she's not trying to shoot Kendo. She's trying to shoot the walls that. Uh, uh, manga. Oh, uh, comic man manga is it creates and uh so she jumps out of the way real quick and even momo has this internal thought of like i'm sorry i scared you you know i, I didn't want to have to do that and so she shoots the cannon off and kendo is like no i can block it at the last second but it turns out to not even be like a cannon ball or a rock or anything it's like a bag that gets shot over uh and then momo turns to kendo and pulls off a move we don't see what it is until later i just had uh uh, booby beams in my notes <laughs> yeah because that's yeah, all we that see in the sense. anime is just her boobs start glowing <laughs> so it's like boob lasers i had kind of a weird thought here like we know her her quirk works off of using lipids in her body to form the matter and we've seen her get like absolutely exhausted to the point where she's passing out because she's used up all of the energy in her body. But it seems weird to me that like her quirk doesn't work like fat gums where she stores that up and then it dissipates as it's used. That feels like that would make a little bit more sense than just, you know, I mean, she has infinite lipids, I guess, until she doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I see. It. Like we never see her lose weight or like anything of that sort. So... Yeah, or gain weight, and we've seen her definitely stuff in her face for exactly this reason, to have the energy or the lipids enough to do what she needs to do. I think it's been explained that she doesn't gain weight because she's using so many calories when she creates things, but that doesn't really make sense. Like, that's not how your body stores energy. So I just, because it stores energy in fat, you know what I mean? So it just seems weird that she doesn't gain any. Yeah, I think that too, and correct me if you had a different perception, but I think that that is precisely why momo ends up knocked out at the end of this it's not because kendo does land a slap at the end i think that she creates this cannon creates that bag which i think was labeled mm -hmm. like yaoi rozu's secret bag or something like this goodie bag yeah goodie yeah. bag um and then the that last act of the booby beams um that we're gonna that's what we're gonna call them until we get to that part in the uh in the anime anyway uh that that was her last like that was her last store of energy and she just kind of passes out like you were talking about. I don't think Kendo That's exactly actually I smacked think. her. I think even Kendo says something like, I don't even really feel like I beat her. Yeah, no, she does. She says, I don't even feel like I actually won. Uh, but we'll get back to that. So we, let's switch over and talk about Kuroyuro and Tokoyami and Aoyama. What's going on with those guys? So Dark Shadow and Tokoyami are flying around trying to decide what they're going to do. They've got Aoyama still underneath them, but Kuroyuro, uh, Iroh, rather, snatches Aoyama, and this is probably my least favorite part of these two episodes, because Tokoyami 
looks back in fear as Aoyama disappears in and amongst the pipes, and he shouts Aoyama's hero name, and it still sounds as dumb as it uh, did the the first day that it was introduced. And when he screams it in terror, and he shouts, can't stop twinkling, it sounds even dumber. (laughs) I was like, that name (laughs) is as dumb as it ever was. But credit to Tokiyami, um, because he does this later on with uh, Hagakure, he consistently calls... Uh, those two in particular, I don't remember him doing it for Momo. I don't remember him calling her Creati. Um, but he does call those two by their hero names. Uh, Instead of just exercise. by their names. That yeah, he knows the most. I did yeah. like that. Yeah, that's a good point. That is kind of neat. It is frustrating that he takes Aoyama when we know Aoyama can produce light and pretty much knock Kuroyuro out. So either Aoyama just got nervous, panicked, and pulled a dummy move, or he could have actually saved himself. Yeah, I... I was frustrated by that too because it did. I mean, he literally was the guy that chased Kuro Iro out of the shadows earlier. Um, and he doesn't maybe, maybe like your, maybe he had a stomach ache. Maybe he overdid it earlier in the episode. Um, maybe he was just scared into inaction because we've seen him like that before. Like, didn't he? Wasn't he like straight up hiding in the bushes until the very last second during the. Uh, assault on the summer camp and seemed to be really ineffective during the um, provisional licensing exam until he basically served as like um, a rendezvous beacon for the remaining members of class one eight. Like there are just times where I think he gets scared into inactivity and maybe that's what happened here. Cause he's definitely screaming like a champ that, that hilarious scream from earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after Aoyama is grabbed and poor Tokoyami is standing there, like kind of left by himself, like trying to pick up the pieces, uh, he he does stumble across Invisible Girl. She's completely covered in uh, mushrooms and he's kind of trying to figure out like what to do here. I mean, he he's not super sure. And out of nowhere, this bag pops off. And so he, he grabs it and is going through it. Uh, and then we kind of transition into Komori and Kuroiro talking about how, like, okay, Kuroiro caught Aoyama, and it's weird because Komori is like, all right, well, I'm going to depend on you to get the other three. And it, it's funny because Kuroiro stops and he's like, do you think Class 1A knows where we are? <laughs> and we zoom over to Tokoyami, who's got these thermal goggles on and definitely knows where they are. <laughs> yeah, he's heading right for him. Um, and Manga sees this as well. But before he even gets the bag, there was a scene that made me laugh because he's he started breaking out mushrooms for the first time at the very beginning of that scene um, before the bag uh, clears Manga's wall. And then there's this short scene where he's trying to swipe the mushrooms off of Invisible Girl. And so I just have in my notes, he's swiping mushrooms off of a naked girl. And I just have in parentheses, eat your heart out, Mineta. Like Mineta has got to be watching this <laughs> on the television screens and just being like, Hot damn, why wasn't I on this team? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a moment later, to, I mean, obviously, a bit spoiler-heavy here, which the show is very spoiler-heavy, hopefully everyone knows at this point. Uh, but, like, Kendo grabs uh, yeah. uh, Hagakuri, and I was just like, hmm, that's got to be weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe less so for her, or less exciting for her, presumably, than it would be for, you know, if if uh, somebody else had grabbed her. But I, w- I was thinking more for Hagakure. Like, that's just got to yeah, be awkward. That's true. Yeah. Not on the not on behalf of the grabber, but of the grabby. Yeah. Like, I mean, even when even when Dark Shadow or not Dark Shadow, but Tokoyami's helping, there's got to be that uncomfortable like, hey, don't touch me. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh, man, man. <laughs> I had a story pop into my mind, but we don't have time for it this episode. Maybe next episode, I'll tell you a funny story uh, that that is tangentially all right, all right. related to what you've uh, what you're talking about being naked and being grabbed. Um, 
That worries so, me. Teaser, yeah. <laughs> teaser for episode 78 <laughs> of the AMB. Uh, but yeah, Tokoyami has these thermal goggles uh, and they're telling him exactly where he needs to go. So he flies in. Oh, and they also find in that bag um, ethanol, which is a disinfectant, apparently. Didn't know that. Was it ethanol? I didn't see that it was ethanol. I just saw that. Uh, I think Tokoyami's like, oh, look, disinfectant. So they spray themselves down so that way uh, mushrooms don't pop on them. In the manga, it's even more uh, like clear and just blunt because the little can says ethanol. And then underneath that is a picture with a mushroom with an X on it. Uh, it's like, just, <laughs> so, awesome. just in case you didn't know what to, what to do with this Tokoyami. This is the thing that you do with this. Um, but the goggles have a, a HUD, and it, he's zo- uh, zeroing in on uh, the two hiding in the shadows, and he pulls off a move called the Black Abyss, colon, Sabbath. Um, and he says, you know, Hawks would say that speed beats strength. Uh, and this is kind of strange. So he, he kind of gets a hold of uh, Kimoko. Kimoko. Uh, man, we, we still got to learn these Kimori? names. Kinoko. I said Kimoko. I kind of squished together her. Uh, first and last names, but he grabs a hold of her, uh, and swipes her up. Kuroiro is like, well, I need to get the heck out of here. I need to find some darkness. And then Tokoyami just throws his cloak on him and captures him in the cloak. And I struggle with this because it makes it seem like if Kuroiro were walking down the street and stepped into a shadow, that it would be, that he would have to treat it like a pothole and just fall into the thing. That doesn't make any well, sense. Like his quirk doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to discriminate when it is that he becomes one with the shadow. That seems weird. See, I I kind of took a different angle to this. We know that that's Tokoyami's cloak, which he uses to control dark shadows. So I'm assuming it's a special cloak made of special material that helps him control shadows. So I don't know. that The way that I'm explaining it is that Kuroiro hopped into this cloak, you know, like, and, and he was able to capture him and maybe Kuroiro was hoping he'd be able to bounce around, but because of some sort of special material or something, he was trapped. I don't know. Well, and the other question that I had earlier that I skipped over in my notes was, could Kuroiro have escaped into his own shadow when he was surrounded by Momo and Hagakure and Aoyama earlier in the episode? I didn't think he had his own shadow because I, I was looking for that and I, I must have missed it because I, I was wondering the same thing. Like that would be a really interesting thing. But then the shadow doesn't exist anymore. So does he become the shadow? Well, he, he merges with it and then he can move it then. So it feels like he would yeah. just constantly be able to as, as long as he had a shadow, um, he would be able to kind of melt down into it, which doesn't negate the shadow. He just be, becomes one with it. He merges with it and then he can move well, it about. And it's not even shadows that he controls, right? It's like dark things. As long as that dark thing right. can move, then he can move. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what about space? I don't know. I feel like his his quirk is just kind of strange. There's a lot of, like... Yeah, it's, I, I, I didn't like the cloak move. It made very little sense to me. I, I thought that it was just like, haha, you have to merge with darkness. It was kind of how Tokoyami made that seem. And I was like, what? No, he has to have some able some, some ability to be discriminating with it. Um, cause otherwise, yeah. like I said, he's just walking down the street and he has to avoid all shadows unless he merges with them accidentally. And then if he True. has no ability to discriminate, how does he exit them? I don't know. I, I struggled with that. And maybe I'm just misunderstanding well, it makes me how wonder, his works entirely. Could he use like, uh, like fiber optics to, to basically move around the world? I mean, if they had cabling from, you know, say one location to another, he should be able to jump into the middle of that cable where it'd be shadowed, right? I don't even think he has That'd to jump kind of into the middle so long as it's wrapped in a black, uh, That's true. A black uh, insulator. I think that the way That's that true. if yeah. I, if I'm reading his quirk, right, it's just, he can, 
uh, I'm going to pull this up on the wiki and just read it. It allows him to merge his body into anything that is dark in color, whether naturally dark or dark via external circumstances such as shadows. Man, what a quirk. That's got to be... Like, how did you even figure that out? You know, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I've also wondered... Yeah, man, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot I could wonder about that quirk, I think. Uh, but while all this is happening, we do get a quick scene where Hagakuri has basically sprout, like, sprayed herself down in that disinfectant, so mushrooms aren't popping up on her, and she is kicking Comic Man's butt. Yeah. I mean, just like, he can't see her, doesn't know how to react, and she is just beating the tar out of him. And then out of nowhere... Kendo pops through and grabs her, stops the fight, and she's like tied to Momo and the cannon. Yes. And so it seems like Momo like shot her with a whole bunch of ropes and tied her and uh, Kendo to the cannon. So Kendo had to drag Momo and the cannon to get there. That was <laughs> so wicked smart, though. Um, yeah. I was really impressed. But why impressed didn't she just her? untie her? Like, I, I didn't understand. Or maybe I didn't see how she was really connected because I'm confused why she didn't just untie the ropes. I I don't know if it was I, I couldn't tell it in the anime either. The color seemed off like maybe it wasn't just like fiber rope. Maybe it was some sort of like steel cable sticky because um, it, huh. lo- it definitely looks very heavy duty. Um, yeah, unless she's no got something sharp, she would have a really hard time. And this this brings up another question. If Momo is knocked out, uh, how does that affect her quirk? Because in the anime in particular, and you can still see it in this uh, panel in the manga, the ropes are still connected to her arms. So is the cannon. It's still like a part of who she is, who she is. So if she's knocked out, does her cork not shut off temporarily where the cannon would detach, where the ropes would detach? Um, that's seems like that would be what would take place, but I'm not sure. I didn't think the cannon was still attached to her physically. I thought the cannon was just tied to her. Like she was, she had tied the ropes around it and to Ken. Nah, so it's like, if you, uh, if you look at the manga panel, I'm pretty sure it's like this in the anime, that little pinky, purple, bluey, glowy, boob laser stuff. It's like saying that it's active, basically. Yeah, it's still like Man, around the edges. That, that could kill her, I would think. That would be really dangerous, because if she were to pass out and be in the midst of creating something, it could just zap her energy until she is eating away at herself, basically. Yeah, I don't... I, don't, I, I liked the idea. I think I struggled with the, the, applica- the presentation itself. Anyway, we, we, I think even before she comes onto the, the scene with Manga and Hagakure, Tokuyami is victoriously captured two of Class B's team, but then he begins hacking. Um, and the scary, uh, the scary mushroom girl is just like, well, I don't use these very often because they're not very cute. Um, but she's basically insinuating that she has caused some of these spores to get down and these mushrooms are now growing in Tokoyami's either windpipe or even in his lungs. Um, I think she even says they're going for the lungs and she talks about this specific kind of, um, of mushroom. And this is where we see Monoma say she doesn't have a very high combat ability, but she is scary. And I have in my notes that her and Toga would be frightening together. Yeah. And it it kind of begged the question for me, like I, I didn't, take the time to go and look at all of the mushrooms that she was creating, but she does say their names. And it made me wonder if she could create like hallucinogenics in somebody's stomach without telling them, you know what I mean? Just all of a sudden, all your enemies are tripping balls. Yeah. How crazy would that be? I would think that that's (laughs) within the realm of possibility. I did look these up and I think all of them were, were at least edible. If uh, I don't remember any of them were like strictly poisonous, but I mean, in an event with like a real villain where it's like life or death, 
like, yeah, mushrooms in the lungs would do it. Poisonous mushrooms Absolutely. in the belly, like you're talking about, that would do it. Well, I have a bit of an issue with this scene as well, because like when this happens, I mean, Tokoyama gets shut down. He can't breathe. So they're both able to get away. And then with the whole scene with Kendo, pretty much Class 1A has been shut down. Like 1B wins outright. All four of Class 1A gets captured. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with this, though, is like it doesn't sound like she has the ability to just remove these mushrooms. So poor freaking Tokoyami is like just laying there choking, like suffocating to death. And they're like, hey, hey, we win. You know, like, I, I don't know. I just seemed like that poor guy. Like no one was going in to try and help him. He's just sitting there choking on these mushrooms. That's true, because uh, one of the guys earlier said that they disappear in two to three hours. So that kind of sucks for Tokoyami. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I just I, if she had kept going, she would have killed him. I don't know. It seemed a little drastic but she's right i mean if she hadn't done that they would have won and i think someone criticizes tokoyami it may have been komori herself or they say like should have you should have knocked her out yeah that was monoma saying that to whoever was listening to him on the sidelines and uh okay we we catch up with the team afterwards and uh tetsu 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 is again kind of contrasted with todoroki is uh you know todoroki or tetsu is cheering on uh, all hailing Kendo, you know, being the big cheerleader and Todoroki's just like, I hope you, I hope she doesn't get discouraged by this again. Momo, he's talking about, uh, Midnight yeah. is talking about how she thinks, uh, Momo is going to be a great leader, uh, that she's taken. And then this is this weirdly unnecessarily inspiring moment in the show where they're just like, we've all taken another step closer to becoming what we all want to be and who we admire, heroes. And there's all this yeah. inspiring music on the back. But then um, I, just as I was beginning to really hate the tone of that, um, Vlad King comes in and just tempers all of that because he starts screaming, you know, <laughs> uh, into the mics and praising 1B. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because if the, if the episode yeah. had ended with that weird, cheesy stuff, I'd have been like, all right, not, 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 not all excited about that. I had the same thoughts. I was like, why is Deku monologuing? Like, what's happening here? Why are we... We know what they're trying to become. We don't need to be reminded. But then Vlad pops in and basically doubles down on his biased commentary, and it's awesome. So, did you... uh, So, at the end of the credits this week, uh, we get a little bit of a sneak peek into the fight that's going to take place over the course of the next episode, possibly two or more. And it's going to be Shoji, Todoroki, Ida, and Ojiro versus Tetsu 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 Tetsu, Sen Kaibara... Honanoki and Pony uh, Sunori. So, you got any predictions on how that particular fight is going to go down before we wrap up this episode of the AMP? I'm not sure. I, I, I think the... I, I'm currently leaning towards Class 1A. And the reason I say that is because, first of all, Toads is going to be so hard to beat. I mean, Todoroki is just a force to reckon with. You know what I mean? And not knowing a whole lot about 1B's quirks... I mean, the whole idea that he could just freeze the entire area and pretty much win blows my mind. Like, I feel like he is so powerful. But on top of that, Tetsu, 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 Tetsu is pretty much taken out because they've all practiced against Kirishima. So they know, Hmm. I mean, for the most part, how to take care of that kind of individual. Like, they're going to know his weaker points. Sure, his quirk's not one-to-one, but I mean, it's pretty dang close. And he has the same, like... uh, class i'm gonna say as kirishima you know what i mean like he's the fighter you're you're gonna take the fighter out get him out of the way and and they're really pretty much already down one person as far as i'm concerned for 1b so it's gonna depend on the other quirks and i don't know them super well but like they i mean they maybe have a chance i just feel like with with the todoroki being on that team it's gonna be really hard the rest of them i i mean 
to be fair, I think like Ida, Shoji, and Ojiro are lacking in comparison to Todoroki, just from the sheer power level. You know what I yeah. mean? So the, it's it's definitely a weirdly balanced team, uh, but we'll see. What do you think? I think that there's some interesting contrasts um, for for powers between one A and one B in this in this next round. So, for instance, um, Honanoki's quirk allows him to soften things which could mean that Ida's speed is completely neutralized. If he, if Ida gets to running and Honanuki manages to soften the ground, then it's just like running through slime or sludge or wet cement or oh, whatever. Um, so I think that he could... I took that way darker. Like, what if he softened his ankles or something, you know? <laughs> I think that there's <laughs> limits to what he could do. Let me look this up real quick um, to, to what <laughs> it is imagine that he can go to, So like... Juzo's quirk allows him to soften any non-living thing. That That's, that's okay. what the thing is. Um, so I think that yeah. he could... Uh, really play a big. Uh, I think he could neutralize Ida fairly easily on his own. Um, so Sin Kaibara's uh, quirk is that he's the drill man. He's the spirally boy. Um, I think that that could mean that he could traverse through um, or even extricate himself from Todoroki's ice. I don't think Todoroki's going to use much fire in this fight. That's not typically his style unless it's um, fairly life or death. Um, I would imagine that you're gonna end up seeing Ojiro and Tetsu Tetsu, um, paired off at some point. I don't know what to do with Shoji and, and Pony. Um, Pony's quirk, I think, is she can shoot her horns. I, I think, maybe. Um, so I, I'm curious to see, uh, the role that the two of them play. Um, but I do think that there are some ways that Class 1B could really mess with or shake up some of the tactics that class 1A has grown accustomed to because of the quirks on this particular team. And so like, it's another thing to keep in mind too, that like, yes, in the anime, they drew lots and it's, Ooh, that we're on random teams, but from a, like a creative standpoint, no, they're not like right. these guys are paired off against these teams intentionally. And I, I, I think I see some ways that these, uh, these sets of teams from 1A and 1B in this third round could very easily be like, oh yeah, we need to put these two against one another because they can cancel this quirk out or this guy has a unique advantage over this other quirk uh, that maybe Class 1A hasn't dealt with yet. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting. I hope that it gets um, a fair shake. I think that at one point you said that you worried that some of these would be kind of skipped over. Um, I don't want that. There's only five. Like, let us watch them. It's super fun. We're getting to learn 1B, which is something that we've, uh, really wanted to do. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm with you. I, I mean, I reflexively want to say 1A wins um, almost exclusively because of Todoroki. Uh, but I, I do think 1B, like looking at some of the way that their quirks can counteract or can neutralize uh, the quirks of the people on Team 1A, they certainly are not without a chance, um, even against um, Ida Speed and Todoroki's uh, uh, ice in particular, I, I think that yeah. I think that it'll be um, a pretty pretty interesting fight. I can almost guarantee you that uh, Honanuki is going to soften the ground beneath Ida. I can almost guarantee you that Senkaibara is going to use his little spirally quirk to traverse ice at some point or extricate himself from it. I'm convinced those two things are going to happen. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And and you know, really like thinking about it, Class One B does have the advantage of of having seen their their past classmates 
not do as well trying to split up their forces against Class 1A. So they may just focus down and say, okay, we've all got to get together and do one thing. You know what I mean? Like having that knowledge ahead of time may really help them here. Yeah, and I think the last thing I'll say before we sign off to is uh, another kind of pattern that we've seen in uh, these battles is 1A knows far less about 1B than 1B does about 1A. And we as an audience do too. And and so we've seen multiple times, even in this last fight, where people even in class 1B will say, well, they know what your quirk is, but they don't know you can do this with it now. Um, Mm -hmm. And we we've seen that a little bit we saw we got to see that with tokoyami in this particular episode where they're like what he can fly now but i think that's been the only instance no 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 um because kaminari used his little um target shooting things against the in the first round as well so i guess it's been on both sides but um i, I still think to that, some extent uh, as far as intelligence goes i feel like class 1b is working with more than class 1a yeah no i see what you're saying for sure i'm gonna call class 1a we'll see though Okay, I we will we will indeed as we uh, look forward to episode uh, seventy eight of the AMP. I thought this was seventy eight. I guess this is seventy seven. I need to change my file. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's seventy seven. <laughs> I hope it is because mine's called seventy seven yeah. too. <laughs> nope, you are totally right. But I think that'll be it for, for this week. Uh, we'll see everyone in two weeks. See you guys. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. Cool. I'll count us down. All right. Three, two, one. Oh, wait, do it again. I didn't clap. Okay. <laughs> Three, two, one.